you ever watched the uh, the docu? Uh, sorry, the making of like Alien, the first Alien movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like uh, Ridley Scott, um, pretty pretty much throughout the whole um, production of the of the movie, he never showed the actors the Alien character. He, he, he they asked to see it quite a lot of times, but they never showed it him until the time when it come to shooting, right? And it's just the idea of like even making the actors feel comfortable. amazing to watch as the horror genre has moved from games like Resident Evil and Silent Hill into frictional games and maybe just maybe Lunar Software. Uh, Lunar Software is developing a game uh, that's supposed to come out uh, maybe early next year called Routine. Uh, It is I guess not a roguelike uh, but it is a game where when you die you start over from scratch. Uh, It's set on the moon. There are crazy robotic creatures all around, Uh, but unlike an amnesia or an outlast, uh, you can actually fight back. You have guns in routine, Uh, and there are multiple endings, and you're hacking into different parts of the ship, trying to piece together what happened, and it looks really terrific. I highly recommend you check out uh, the four-minute trailer they put out. Uh, They're kind of going dark, uh, at least until the game is very close to release, uh, and that's something that I explore in my interview with Aaron Foster, who used to work at Eurocom and has done some other AAA work, uh, but decided he needed to strike out on his own, make his own game, and so he's making Routine. Uh, we had a really fun chat that spanned Routine, horror games, Amnesia, the Oculus, Alien, uh, and, and kind of everything in between. Uh, so uh, why don't I toss it over to our conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I I would pay for a better service, but there like, there there are, are surprisingly not that many great options. I guess you sort of have Skype, and then I mean, I guess there are Google Hangouts, which which are, are not terrible, but are not mm. nearly as convenient or as ubiquitous as as Skype for sure. Yeah, I feel like the quality of Google Hangouts is not great, but its functionality is pretty good. Uh, you can do some interesting things with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we've been using that for a morning show on on Giant Bomb and awesome. um yeah, you don't have a whole lot of control, but uh, it works and, mm. and 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 it does like, you know, auto archiving on YouTube and so there there are like there's some interesting ideas there uh but um anyway. Yeah, b- before we all moved in together as a development team, we actually used Google Hangouts as our virtual little studio and it was really surprisingly helpful, so because you can screen share all your work you're doing. To other team members, so. right, right. So are so are, are you guys all like are you guys all together now, or or are you uh, still sort of all kind of disparate? Well, there's only four of us, and okay. three of us are uh, we've rented out a flat together, and we're using the front room as our little studio. Um, the fourth one is in um, Australia, so <laughs> he's a freelance audio um, guy. So he works on a lot of other projects, not just us. Okay, so do the, the 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 core three of you then? Did you had you worked together in the past before before starting Routine? Uh, no, no, not at all. Um, uh, one of them, uh, Gemma, she's actually my partner, and I'm um, teaching her sort of the art uh, side of things for games. And um, Pete, the programmer, is he was working on his own thing before I met him, and we did sort of a skill trade almost at the start when I first got to know him. 
I did art for one of his projects and he did some programming for one of mine and we just worked really well together so he's a permanent part of the team now. So so do you guys actually have like a sort of assigned designer or are you guys all sort of contributing to the design of the game? Well, I, I mean, I founded Luna Software and uh, Routine started off as a one-man game just from me. Um, so I guess just it, because of that, the way it started out, I'm, I guess I'm kind of the lead on this project. But um, we, we all um, chip into design. Like uh, whenever I have an idea or a change, I... I I express it to everyone. Everyone has their input, their worries, and we kind of brainstorm it that way. Whenever they have ideas, we all um, discuss it and just see what we can do with it. And yeah, it's a really organic sort of um, iterative process on the design. But we have these core values that we don't want to change that we've had from the start. So, What would you sort of describe as, as sort of the core values of routine? Well, I guess um, one thing that's never changed is the, uh, the idea of having this... Um, consequence uh, to your actions which a lot of games try to avoid actually um, a lot of games actually try very hard to not kill the player to keep the sort of the whole story quite seamless and uh, uh, so you get the best sort of uh, sense of the whole uh, even boss fights in games are actually so a lot of the times quite quite a lot easier than than the level because they don't want you to die at that epic moment of feeling great you know and and, and expressing that story to you so consequence in our game has kind of been a, a really big focus, and we started off using permadeath as that sort of um, pivotal thing, and uh, making sure the player knows that if you don't pay attention to what you're doing, there there definitely are consequences. Um, so yeah, we're trying to explore that side of things. Um, also, having it non-linear, so that you don't have to replay the same thing over and over if you do die. Um, the base is completely open for you to explore and f figure out what's going on. And and also, to top that off, there's multiple endings, depending on what you find out. So, so there is, actually, that's one of the, like, I, I find myself struggling when I play, you know, roguelikes or roguelike likes, like, however you want to classify it. But essentially, yeah. you know, the idea of jumping into a game and playing it repeatedly uh, mm -hmm. over and over again and trying to learn from that experience differently than, you know, sort of a traditional you know, yeah. sort of beginning to end arc of, of a game. Uh, I have trouble with some of those games that don't have an actual proper end because I, mm -hmm. I like the finality to it. I like that I can say, okay, I saw this to its conclusion and then I can move on to the next thing. Um, so I actually, I, I wasn't even, I, that's what was going to be one of my questions was whether you guys even had endings or if it was, mm. you know, purely, uh, you know, just go oh, back no. in and, and see what happens each time differently. Yeah, so like... Um... I guess another thing with roguelikes, you have this, uh, these randomized environments a lot of the time, right? Um, we, I just stayed away from that for a big reason, uh, because we really have this um, story that we want to tell in the environment. And if we randomize it too much, uh, then it's hard to have this um, sort of um, really specific story. You know, things get too muddled up, too uh, vague in areas. And... Um, so we try to keep the environment quite static because we have a story that we want to tell in it, but everything within the environment can uh, change. Uh, so there is a story to find out, but in any one person's playthrough, they might only find out one side of it, uh, and they will come to a conclusion that they thought was the uh, right thing to, well, I guess, right path to go down. Um, uh, kind of a vague answer, strange answer. Um, did, did that 
did that get come across? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I completely, I completely yeah. understand. And and I think I, I was talking uh, with uh, Thomas Grip, the designer on uh, Amnesia, yesterday, and you know one of the things that he talked about that that they struggle with was, you know, when they whenever they've started a new project, they've you know tried to include a little more variability in terms of what the player encounters, but you know mm-hmm. often find themselves going back to you know, not necessarily scripted moments, but definitely in horror, you have to control the environment to some degree to ensure that you can build that tension, that you can have that moment for the player. But finding what that fine line is for the player's agency uh, is, is pretty tough. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things to me for 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 tension or, or, or most horror games is, is the unknown, right? Is not knowing what's going to happen. Uh, but also the developer needs to somehow have control over that over the player so that he experiences uh, things in a very specific way and when you have like a a open sort of game like we do um, it's really difficult to to i guess get the balance right of keeping it varied but also um purposely trying to uh, create tension at a certain point uh, or fear um and that's one thing we've definitely struggled with with routine uh, we feel like we're getting to a point where it's it's quite interesting now, um, and we definitely have one or two sections in the in the game which we kind of if you want to find out a specific ending, then you're going to have to go through or go to, and and in them points we can definitely control things a little bit more. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing. It's it's a really fun design challenge though. I think creating a open horror game. Yeah, and one of the things that you know Thomas mentioned too that I imagine that you guys would, would grapple with is, you know, in horror specifically, you know, when you ratchet up the tension, when you kind of have a moment for the player, uh, mm-hmm. and it's a game that also has, you know, it's not like a film or a book where it just keeps going regardless of what you do, like the player is yep. agency, and, and that agency means that they can fail, but when yep. they do fail, then they may have to go through a specific sequence, uh, you know, a second or a third or a fourth time, however many yep. times it takes for them to finish mm-hmm. it, and each time that diminishes uh, and takes sort of the oxygen out of the tension yeah, because they, they know what to expect. So for like an amnesia, he actually walked me through a sequence where have you, have you played? I assume you played the dark descent. I have yet. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, you know, the water sequence when yeah. you're being chased. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I got through that moment, you know, the first one shot, I felt like I got the <laughs> exactly what the designers would want out of that, which was you almost mm-hmm. got killed, but I shut all the doors. I made it out heart attack moment uh and i was like well that seems like that'd be boring on the second or third times and he actually walked me through how on the second and third times they actually change up what happens so that Mm -hmm. you can't uh, immediately apply you know what you think the fail state was or what you screwed up with you kind of have to change it on the fly in a way that was surprising i I wonder if you guys have maybe experimented with that given that sort of a constraint i mean we have to i mean if we if we don't we there's kind of no point to it being um, open. I mean, the way that the AI is the, the, uh, programmed is that we as developers almost don't know where they are most of the time. Um, so you'll you'll do things in the environment that will attract their attention. Uh, but we as developers, again, don't control what the player will do or when he does it. So there's lots of things in the environment. So like um, accessing computers, which you saw in the trailer, um, when you do that, if you if you stay there for too long, it will sort of set off an alert, which will uh, uh, gain attention to your whereabouts, basically. Um, 
and we tried to control it through that way. So the, the I guess the pace of the game some, some, uh, is kind of related to the pace of the player and what he's doing. And I feel like we have to tackle things a little bit more in that direction. Uh, and it's a strange thing, like with Amnesia, I think it's probably the you know the scariest modern horror game you could probably find for most people, right? Oh yeah, um, no, I am 100% agree. <laughs> you should get a t-shirt yeah. for finishing that game. <laughs> <laughs> right so um personally like I, I really like amnesia i think it's it, it was scary when i played it uh, but like you said when you die um to me it felt like there was a big um to me it was a big issue uh, dying in games is always a big issue to me in games like regardless it's not not just amnesia it's any game um and feeling no consequence to dying basically where you can just reload um a save two minutes ago um always to me removed a lot of or, or, or all of the tension of, of dying and I just from that point onwards I would I would play around I'd relax a lot more and sure there'll still be a bit of tension because of you know the audio and what's going on but it's not the same you know I don't feel tension for dying at all because I've got no worries about dying you know because I'm not losing anything and I know permadeath is a a love or hate sort of thing and we're okay with that. We know that the the game isn't going to be enjoyed by a lot of people. It'll just be, hopefully, it'll be really enjoyed by a few, and and that would be okay, I think, for for us. Well, I think what you know when you, when you talk about the consequences of death in in game design, it's you know even in it essentially allows you to start like deconstructing the systems in a way the designers didn't want you to, because if if you die and then suddenly the tension is lost, then you can start poking and prodding at the systems to kind of figure out how to get your way through in a way that, you know, sort of wasn't intended when it's like, it's mm. supposed to be the atmosphere and the mechanics and the systems all sort of playing together when you sort of can save load at will and yep. start breaking that through through death no longer having any real permanent uh, consequence. Uh you, you, you basically start breaking down the game into its individual elements and they're no longer working in tandem and then it's not really functioning as intended. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of people associate permadeath with difficulty as well. They think because it has permadeath, the game's going to be hard. Um, and that's not the case for us. Uh, we didn't put permadeath in there as a difficulty curve. We actually put it in there purely just to make the player... Uh, understand that there are consequences to his actions you know he, he, he can just throw away everything if he's not careful and to me um i didn't finish amnesia not because of most of it but i'm not a big fan of puzzles and the puzzles in amnesia to me were were a difficulty curve um and if i'm not very interested in them i'm not gonna um put a lot of effort in figuring the puzzles out and therefore I kind of get a little bit stuck, you know, on, on finding the pieces and putting them in where and so on. Um, and to me, that, that, that to me was a personally, because I'm not as interested in puzzles was a bigger difficulty curve than something like, um, uh, a difficult, you know, platformer or something. Hmm. And so it's, it, 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 it's interesting. I hope people, ideally, for me personally, it would be a player may not die in at all from start to finish, but he, he knows that if he does die, then he will lose everything. And that would be like the perfect scenario, just like your, your um, situation with the water monster, right? You got it through it perfectly in your first time, but you had that real um, 
close encounter with, with death, right, with dying. And it was a perfect setup for you. Um, ideally, that would happen in routine too. <laughs> but uh, make it, you're trying to make sure that uh, if you do die, um, there's definitely a huge amount of, of variation and uh, the way that you play again is kind of up to you. So it's not just repeating the same thing at all. So uh, when you started sort of imagining routine and, and it was going to be sort of a one you know one a one person thing you were just going to build it yourself like how different was it from what we're seeing now and what you're building towards you know for uh, for next year it was so so different um because i'm not a programmer at all um i chose unreal because it has sort of uh visual programming uh, called kismet and it lets non-programmers really get stuck in on a technical level without knowing exactly how to code i mean you still need to understand logic behind coding but you don't have to understand a language, basically. Um, so it was a simplified version of routine, for sure. Um, it didn't have any of the computer interaction that you see now. Uh, the enemies would have been a lot, it, it may, maybe even non-existent, the enemies, honestly. Uh, it would have been, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it would have been a much more of a uh, sort of atmospheric, sort of single player, uh, almost DRS-er type thing. And, uh, and that was just because of my own skill set. Um, as soon as um, Pete got on board, I was able to um, design it into something more horror-oriented, which is where a lot of my passion and inspiration comes from, from a lot of creative sort of aspects. And, and so, uh, you know, so, so you would have thought that if you had released it yourself, you know, it would have been maybe atmospheric, but definitely not nearly as scary because you, oh, you wouldn't have had any sort of, you know, actual mm. threat, I guess. Just uh, absolutely. Had... I mean, uh, I grew up watching horror and sci-fi since a kid, like at a very young age, probably about uh, age 10 or 11. Um, my mum was good friends with a, uh, a video rental store uh, that was across the road. So I grew up watching like 2001, uh, Alien, uh, The Thing, and it just inspired me so much through, through, my, <laughs> through my childhood and to this day. So um, it would have definitely still had a, a similar vein and similar atmosphere, just, yeah. Mechanic-wise, mechanic wise, it would have been definitely extremely cut down, basically. Prior to working on Routine, have you had an opportunity sort of to express your interest in horror in game design and game development, or is this your first chance to kind of kind of explore that? Well, yeah, I guess it is the first, my first chance properly. Um, I've been doing mods and small things for about seven years now, and I worked in the industry for a few years too as an environment artist, a 3D environment artist. Um, but I guess now it just, got, it just got to a point where I just, I had to settle down and just do something. Um, and I did so many little projects in the past that I weren't fully passionate about. Uh, and that's why they never got finished. So choosing routine was something that I, I knew that from the start, I would never get tired of this because it's been something that stayed with me for, since my childhood. And I would just continue going at it until it's done. And, and it is, you know, it's, it's, it's we're, we're quite far ahead now so <laughs> it's just the furthest i've gotten with any personal project so pretty good well now you've got a bunch of other people excited for it so you got to finish it yeah absolutely I, yeah we're very surprised with the reception i genuinely thought well, we had bets actually when we first showed our, our trailer and we all had bets about how many views we might get and uh i think i was on about six thousand and i would be very happy about that six thousand <laughs> views for a trailer and our newest trailer got over four hundred thousand, and I just completely 
surprised. Genuinely, I'm completely surprised. I thought six thousand would be, I would be happy about, and that would be great. So, um, I thought this was quite a niche game, but I guess uh, probably because of the recent trend of horror, it's really um, helped with our game for sure, especially with popularity. Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch it because I've been a horror guy for for a long time, and horror essentially died out in terms mm. of the you know, triple A proper. I mean, you've got, you know, got a couple of things, you know, we've got, you know, the evil within is coming out and there's a bad silent Hill game every couple of years. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Re- and resident evil has gone so far off the yeah. track. If, if you're talking yeah. about, you know, a, a pure horror game, like, you know, certainly the first game and, and the remake for the GameCube, which is, I still think, uh, yeah, resident a, evil an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable game. Um, but I think AAA has kind of gotten away from that in pursuit of being more action-oriented, which, for all sorts of reasons, makes sense. Um, I don't disparage AAA from getting away from horror, but it has been super fascinating, uh, especially especially in the post-amnesia world, um, mm-hmm. where I think amnesia proved out that hey, you don't need to have guns, and because when as soon yeah. as you start putting a lot, of, and you know, routine has that, but as soon as you start putting some of those mechanics into your mm-hmm. game. Your the expectations for how guns should handle and how combat should handle is is pretty high because games are games are pretty yeah. good at doing combat. <laughs> um, and and I and I think it's been interesting to watch sort of this renaissance happening on a smaller scale as and as these games get bigger and more impressive uh, to see it kind of come up from the bottom up as opposed to the top down. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree and. Uh... It's one thing is for us doing a sci-fi horror game. There's even less of those, you know. Um, in fact, Dead Space One was was pretty good. I mean, it had a lot of action, but it still had a lot of tension for me personally. Uh, and System Shock Two was the last one I can remember when I played that. Um, and so tackling a sci-fi horror game would be, in my opinion, uh, I mean, fictional guys are doing it now as well. Um, I say you got to be a little so, bit nervous. Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, but if if you look back at our expectations of only having six thousand views, and that would be enough, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're okay. We're, we're okay with that, you know. We're okay. Um, it's hard to compete with frictional. I mean, this is the sixth game, is it? Sixth horror game? Yeah, they're they're pretty deep into uh, iterative process on on that genre for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I I, I don't see it as a competitive thing. More of. Uh, um, I, it inspires us, to be honest. Like it's really exciting to see another sci-fi horror games uh, game. There isn't many of them out there, and I'd love to play another one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, it's going to compete and and, and <laughs> destroy us in some way. So, uh, but I, I will, I would yeah, really enjoy playing it. Well, what do you think of uh, Outlast and Amnesia? Did you play them both at the similar time? Or I mean, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I try, I, I, I tried out both games for. Um... For, to, to kind of do a, we do these quick looks so that people can mm-hmm. check out the game on the site, which is sort of like a, a brief video slice uh, with yeah, commentary. Yeah. And uh, so I really, I like to play them one at a time, like going back and forth between the two would, would kind of weird me out. So I, I played Outlast first, and I, and I think Outlast was interesting. Uh, it, it relies too heavily on uh, jump scares uh, mm-hmm. in a way that were effective, uh, but got a little bit tiresome uh, once yeah. you realize that that was essentially... Um, most of what it was relying on in terms of, of scaring you like the, the sort of handheld camera found footage angle I think also worked really well but I, I don't think they exploited that part enough uh, and, and and oftentimes just relied on the darkness to conceal something that popped out with some violin 
uh, noises um, that just, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think it, it works really yeah. well just as someone that is exposed to a lot of that stuff because I play every oh, horror absolutely. game and every horror movie. Absolutely. It's like you could do that a couple of times and it's it's once you sort of set the expectation it could happen that I think it's scarier when you don't do it. Uh, yeah. and, and Outlast sort of did that over and over again. I think it's still well worth playing. I, th- I think it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, this goes kind of off the rails story-wise at the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, at, I've, as most as most horror things do, though. <laughs> I mean, I've I played both. I've completed both Outlast and the Machine for Pigs, and it was a really interesting thing. I played Outlast first as well, and I think a few days later I played Machine for Pigs. And um, as a game, like just on any core gameplay point of view, obviously I enjoyed Outlast more. Uh, I was wasn't um, scared in either of the games. Uh, but I really loved um, uh, Machine for Pigs setting, like the, the story and, and that, that sort of setting was really interesting, really intriguing. The whole idea of the machine um, is so like abstract and uh, it ha- had a bit of like a touch of uh, City of Lost Children vibe. Do you remember mm. that movie? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, I was really interested in the setting for sure. And so I probably and, and the soundtrack was absolutely stunning in uh, Machine for Pigs. Oh, yeah. That, that, um, in, that introductory uh track that plays just on the menu mm. is yeah that, that whole yeah. soundtrack is just so so creepy and I, I i think i think machine figs has kind of gotten a bad rap from people mm. because i think it should less be looked at as a sequel to amnesia and more a sequel to dear esther that happens to be <laughs> set uh in, in the amnesia universe as much as you yeah. want to consider that a universe mm-hmm. I, I think it was uh in Kotaku's review of uh, Machine for Pigs, uh, the, the writer Kirk Hamilton sort of proposed that m- wouldn't it be cool if Amnesia just became sort of an, an anthology series, which is, you know, handed off to different developers, which means the Amnesia name will get people to pay attention and then, yep. and then sort of let developers kind of do what they want in, mm-hmm. in that world. You know, you sort of are always maybe going to have certain tropes like uh, yeah, yeah. hiding and non-combat and maybe a lantern, but, you know, Machine for Pigs got rid of a lot of the really challenging interconnected systems like the sanity yeah. and and uh, and actually having to collect uh, uh, items to keep the, the light going. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought I really li- liked A Machine for Pigs. Um, I just think I, I also didn't really blame people if they were looking for Amnesia 2. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, just, I just, that's not what it was. And, and yeah. I think I think people just sort of were confused at, at what that game was supposed to be. Because I think taken on its own terms, I think it's super effective. <coughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think setting-wise was much more interesting to me than um, a dark descent, but it just didn't have that fear, that that you know, the scare, the the tension. Oh, so, I will say probably it's it's uh it's best reoccurring a sense of tension, and the one that worked best for me uh, was when they reintroduced the water creature as sort of an, <laughs> as a nod to the the original game. And and you go like I think a solid thirty forty minutes mm. where you you become convinced that that water creature is chained off from you and it's just kind of walking around the environment and you're never going to encounter it and then and then there's that moment where they pull the rug out from under you and the bridge collapses and you have to run from it yeah, I, yeah. I thought it was probably the most effective scare in the game um, <laughs> I, I think to me personally was the first time you saw the pig I think it was with all the cages. Yeah, I just I don't think I expect it to be there because the tension was quite sorry the build up to that point was quite a long time, so I just I got it into my head that maybe I'd, you don't see it until you know 
a good while now. I don't know why, I just felt like the build-up might, might even go longer because it went long enough. Um, and then when I saw it, it was a nice little bit of a surprise. But I think after that point, like the water creature didn't do much for me. The the bridge, bridge collapse was definitely a nice surprise and definitely, you know, sprinted from that and it was great. Um, but I think that first bit with the with the pig to me was still a little a little bit more tension wise. But uh, it's interesting to see like what what, what uh, the let's players of, of people uh, experiencing the game because uh, I think that's one amazing current trend is the let's players and just getting to see people's um, I guess experience with horror and and how they handle certain scenarios for sure. It's, well, and, it's, and there's definitely been a a trend where. So the, I experienced this when I, I streamed maybe half of, of Outlast probably in total uh, alongside the alongside our audience. And, you know, I had people reaching out saying that they'd gone and purchased the game on Steam, not because they had any interest in actually playing it themselves, but because they were interested in watching me play it because they didn't they didn't have <laughs> the balls to actually get through the game themselves, but felt like they owed something to the developers for... Oh, that's nice. Which, you know, is probably... That's probably maybe one percent of, of the audience, if if even that. that might but it's lovely that some people think that. Right, but and, but I think it is really interesting because games are so much different than than movies or books. You know, movies specifically, mm. uh, where you can just close your eyes and the movie keeps going. Uh, but in the game, you know, you have obstacles. You have to actually be the one that goes around the corner, and I think that's too much for some people. Like some people mm. want the the roller coaster ride, but they don't they don't want to pilot the roller coaster. Uh, you know, they're happy to leave that to someone else. And so in, in some ways you have the architect uh, of the of the horror, which is the designer. But then you need a pilot and then the pilot are mm. these let's players or, you know, or if I'm doing it and there's a whole crowd of people that want to see these games. Yeah, they just don't want to be the they don't want to be the people playing them. And I, I think it's going to be curious to see how uh, how or if, you know, people respond to that from a, you know, or game designers just respond to that at all. Cause I think it's only getting more popular. I mean, PewDiePie, you know, he, whatever you like him or not, you know, he's the most popular mm. guy on YouTube. Mm. And a lot of what he's done is react to horror games. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's a weird thing to uh, think about the Oculus, you know, I mean, how, how the Oculus is, can be used in, in horror. Um, it just enhances the experience so immensely that, um, is it gonna? I guess there's okay other genres for sure that will take advantage of Oculus a lot as well. Um, but I was, I was just looking at a point of view that if people, a lot of people are afraid to obviously experience and, and play these games uh, without the Oculus. Uh, with the Oculus, to me, I found um, because you have such a, a sense of being in the environment with the Oculus, with depth and such, um, I usually squint my eyes. If I get, you know, quite scared, to squint. I want to look what's going on, but I want to like just blur the details. And um, because you're wearing the the Oculus itself, and even if you close your eyes, the audio it still feels like you're there. You know, it still really feels like you're there. And uh, I think just looking at how horror games will will, will benefit from that uh, is really interesting. Uh, but it worries me from a mass market point of view. Uh, um, that not many people actually go ahead and get it, um, which is a shame because I, I think Oculus is such an a, amazing thing, potential at least. Yeah, I, I had my, you know, you mentioned one of your one of your guys was watching me mess with it last night. Uh, yeah, Gemma was, was watching. <laughs> yeah, and it was the first the first time I had uh, I had tried anything horror on on the Oculus. Right. You know, okay. and, and, I, and I went out of my way to not 
I, you know, I, I did some write. I found some write ups to like collect the games, and you know, I did technical tests to make sure that I could I could stream mm-hmm. them on my setup. Uh, but then, you know, tried to avoid any sort of knowledge of what was going to happen in any of them. And yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm a guy who like it. Every October isn't is a chance for me to try and find something else to scare me because I've seen so much at this point that <laughs> oh, it, right. do, it does take quite a bit to act. I mean, like you know, I can get scared, but like the truly memorable moments like are very few and far between, yeah. just because yeah. I've I've seen it all. And the Oculus is something else. Like it, it, it is. What, what it does is it it breaks down a lot of the coping mechanisms that you use when you when you experience horror or when you like choose to choose to scare yourself like for example one of the things that i find myself doing is i i put additional distance between me and the monitor um so (laughs) i i will will actually yeah i will actually back off and edge away as a you know it's it's just like a way that like okay i'm getting if there's going to be a jump scare or something like i have moved myself away you know, it doesn't actually do anything, but it's just one of the small things that I do when I'm by myself. And in the Oculus, you can't do that. Like yeah, you, can't, yeah, yeah. you cannot get away from the display. And it's not that you can't get away from the display. The display is right in front of you. Yeah, and, it's so close, yeah. And I found that to be – it made it so that the scares didn't even have to be very good. Um, <laughs> like we're talking really shitty character models. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So and, what have you played with the Oculus? Uh, I, I so I ran through six games. There was one called Don't Let Go, which is oh, I, I heard of that one. I've, it's basically like you go through a series of trials. You know, you've right, got right. like a spider crawling up your and they, <laughs> and they actually model out a character. So, when, so when you look down, you, you're actually seeing a character, yep. you know, a, a spider crawl up. Um, there is one called Alone in the Rift, which is uh, sort of set up like. A slender, but you're not actually like running from slender, but you know, you're going through a forest and then weird things happen. Um, that one was extremely effective. Uh, cool. there, the one that kind of got a lot of attention last week called Alone, which is different than Alone in the Rift, is uh, you're sort of strapped to a um, a couch and you're in like an otherwise normal room and you are playing a video game within the video game. <laughs> Uh, but then yeah. things start happening in the house while you were playing the video game, and yeah, right. it's just yeah, it's 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 the immediacy of the visuals I think that uh, I found profoundly unsettling, and it it actually got me really excited. But I also think it's going to be too far for a lot of people. I think yeah, that's absolutely. it's going to be too much. And I, if it was making me uncomfortable, I cannot fathom what that would do to the average person. Mm. Um, I think it's too much. I, th- I think people, I legitimately think an Oculus could give someone a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, and I mean that with some sort of seriousness. Yeah, I completely agree though. Like, um, I'm someone that's been exposed to horror. Um, I actively do it on a, on a constant basis. I, I, I love to get scared. Um, and it's been a long time since I was genuinely, genuinely somewhat scared of something. I think um, the last I can remember was something like, Maybe Blair Witch when I first watched that, and uh, the end scene in Wreck, the Spanish version. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, love that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that last like ten minute sequence yeah. is just unbelievable. Yeah, so like things like that are very rare occasions. Um, but the Oculus, yeah, like you say, even you know quickly executed, developed uh, products that obviously don't, they, you know, weren't um, haven't been developed for a long time, um, definitely still had a big impact. Uh, have you tried something called, uh, I think it was called Kraken, maybe? 
Hmm. No, there's a. I mean, would you want to? Can you describe Kraken at all? He starts off and there's this pretty bad uh, sort of. You're on this like little cave, rock cave scenario, and okay. um, there's basically a lighthouse in the distance that you have to walk towards, uh, swim towards, I guess. Um, I won't spoil it, but I'd recommend giving that a go and see what you think. Okay, I just, I just, I just loaded it up now. The Kraken Sea Horror, Sea Horror demo. Yeah, that should be it. Should be it. Um, okay. Oh, it was ah, an interesting one. Too many screenshots. Yeah, don't, don't, don't look at anything. I didn't know anything about it. I just like cracking. I was like, I, I, I'm terrified of, of the water. And uh, so to me, that's like a perfect uh, <laughs> situation to scare me. And uh, they, did a, they did a good job, I thought. Pretty good job. So, um, so, so where, where are you guys at, you know, in terms of, of development? Like, what, what, what are you guys just sort of like heads down? Oh, yeah. like refining everything like where are you guys in a final sprint yet like so no, how no, can no, you contextualize where you guys are at so um it's weird we've kind of got a little bit of savings that we're using basically to fund our, our our project um you know we haven't got any backers any 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 publisher or anything and um so ideally we would like to go as far as we can with these savings uh, and making the game as good as possible um we did an, a, a crappy mistake early on giving people a estimated release date <laughs> and uh definitely learning from that <laughs> in our next projects so uh, at the moment it's asap but when we will not release the game uh until it feels right you know until it's ready good and ready um we're aiming to get it done uh, get it done you know earlier next year um but we just, we, it's hard to say that at this point. Um, I think at Christmas time, we'll know a lot more. At that point, we should be at a stage where we've pretty much finished everything and it's just polish and, and, and tweaking certain things and just getting things right, you know. Um, again, at the start of the game, at the project, sorry, um, the base was actually quite, quite large, you know, quite extensive. And realize that there's almost no point to ha having having it that big if there's nothing interesting and unique going on in all these environments right so we cut it down to to making sure that all the places that you go to has something you know at least unique to it in gameplay uh, and feel and, and atmosphere um and that really helped cut down development time quite a lot and it actually makes the game a lot nicer um more concise you know gets gets the point across much much better and um so I guess at this stage, we're probably one of the slowest things with game development is got to be the environment level design, environment art as well. Uh, it, take, it takes such a long time getting all that done. And usually in a company, that's probably the biggest amount of staff you'll get is in the environment art and level design sort of um, team. Uh, so that, that part is just taking the longest time. Um, I may get help from one or two people just getting some extra environment props done just to alleviate some of the time on that i think but the game as a core is definitely there um but there's still lots of things that we want to uh, try out and test to get get it feeling just right i mean a game especially with permadeath you you've got a lot of things to work out to make sure it doesn't feel too annoying and trying to make the process of uh, trying again not too not too painful basically um so yeah, we've got some good iteration. There's a little bit of iteration to do once we <laughs> over the months. But, yeah. I mean, one of the things that 
we talked about briefly over email was, you know, I had originally reached out, be like, hey, you know, are you guys doing anything in October? Like, time to do that. And, you know, you expressed, um, you know, like, real anxiety over how much to show about the game. Because in the ideal world, you'd show nothing and then just release it and, oh, and go yeah. from there. Yeah, I mean, um, you ever watched the, uh, the docu- uh, sorry, the making of, like, Alien? The first Alien movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, uh, Ridley Scott, um, pretty pretty much throughout the whole um, production of the of the movie, he never showed the actors the alien character. He, he, he they asked to see it quite a lot of times, but they never showed it him until the time when it come to shooting, right? And it's just that idea of like even making the actors feel uncomfortable. You know, I kind of like embraced that and I loved that so much that um, if yeah, like you say, I had my perfect scenario. I would love to just put put out an idea to everyone that there's this, you know, atmospheric sort of horror exploration uh, game set on our, our moon and um, give people a few ideas and mechanics, but not express too much of what the game is about. And if that interests people enough to buy it, then hopefully they'll probably enjoy the game the most. And there's people that ask for more information. And I try, I try not to convince those people uh, to, to buy routine. I actually try to... Uh, convince them that if they if they if the stuff they have seen already doesn't interest them that much, then the game might not be for them. Um, and because I, I don't want to, and I know it's a hard sell when you're trying to say, you know, here's this tiny scrap of information. Um, you, you might not enjoy it at all, or you might love it. I'm not sure, but I, I'm only going to tell you this much. And it's hard to ask for people's money when when you're doing that, obviously. Um, but yeah, I guess <laughs> I'm baffling on a bit about it. Um, to me, the, the 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 fear of the unknown is just such a powerful tool. And I think more developers should do that through marketing, for sure. I think people show far too much a lot of times, especially on, on horror games. So, I, you know, one of the, I guess the last question I'll ask you is because you've you've set your, you know, your game in space, you know, mm. what... You know, either gravity is coming out in, mm-hmm. in a number of places. You know, uh, there's, there's, there. Are, you know, you've got, you know, soma from from frictional. Clearly, there is uh, sort of this idea that that space is is really scary. So I'm wondering, mm-hmm. to you, what what is it about sort of space and, and aliens and, and sort of like this sort of general setting that uh, mm-hmm. that people are kind of playing on in, in a bunch of different mediums? What what is it? Why is it scary to you, or why do you think people are scared by it? Well, um, at the moon in particular has been like something I've been interested in for quite a long time. Um, it's so close, we see it all the time, but we know so little about it, really. Uh, we've been there once or twice, you know, a few times, and we're very primitive tech. And I think it's one of those places that honestly, to me, feels extremely lonely. Like if you were standing on the moon, you could see all of Earth, but you couldn't really contact anyone. It, it feels so desolate and, and lonely to me that I just felt like it had to be explored into, in, in, in a sort of sci-fi horror setting for sure. Um, and I guess with space at all, you have the idea that it's pretty much this, this form of isolation in a sense. You don't have contact with, with almost anyone. And I think to me, that's what it's been really interesting about sci-fi is just the 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 sense that you you can't really connect with many people at all. Uh, our moon is just a really interesting uh, setting, I think, just because of how close and 
apparently relatable it, it, it is because because of it's our only you know natural satellite i guess but yeah well, well, Aaron, I really appreciate you taking uh, some time to, to chat with me. I, I've, the fact that I'm, I'm paid to sit around and chat about my favorite thing with a bunch of <laughs> really smart, interesting people uh, is, is something I definitely appreciate. So I, I, I definitely uh, I'm glad that you were able to take some time. And uh, no, no, I, you know, I, I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing a lot more routine. Thank you very much for uh, talking with us. And uh, yeah, well, as soon as we've got something that represents routine, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll send you something.